Welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on today's episode. Today's a really curious one. If you've always wondered about Antarctica and wanted to go and explore that amazing icy Southland, well, today is gonna be a real treat for you. I get to interview Phil Asker, who is the mind and the founder behind Antarctica Flights. Before we dive into the interview, just an encouragement for you to head over to nathanshooter.com, go and explore the blog and you'll find free resources to download that'll help you to review your performance last year so you can set solid goals for the coming year, as well as some free PDF downloads of some of the chapters of recent authors who have been on the podcast. So let's get into it and meet Phil Asker of Antarctica Flights. Hi, Phil. Thanks again for joining me today on another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be here. Many years ago, my auntie subscribed me to the National Geographic magazine here in Australia as a gift. And um, it was just a very cool magazine that I looked forward to receiving every couple of months. And over the course of the years, I noticed these Antarctica flights started to pop up in the ads. And I was just intrigued with the idea that we could go on an expedition that that um, took you over uh, the most southern part of the world and back in a day. And I thought, one day I am going to do that. And so that brings me to today where I get to interview the man behind this amazing tourism idea. And it's been going for some time now. And so, Phil, just tell us about your company and what you do. Well, we charter a Boeing 747 off Qantas, and we've run about 155 of these flights since 1994. And we go out of Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and occasionally out of Adelaide and Perth. And they're just one amazing day. Uh, we leave around 8 in the morning, get back about 8.30 in the evening. And so we have roughly four hours flying down to Antarctica, four hours flying over the ice, and it's an absolutely stunning view, and four hours flying back. But we make sure that four hours is not like a normal four hours on, a, on an aircraft. We have Antarctic expeditioners on board, people who've lived and worked in Antarctica, and who are very passionate about Antarctica. You find just about anybody who's involved with Antarctica becomes incredibly passionate about the continent. And we'll, we'll they'll talk uh, from the flight deck. We have permission for them to be in the flight deck to describe what's coming up on each side of the aircraft. And we'll, they'll also come around the cabin and talk to people in individually or in small groups. And we show Antarctic uh, videos. We have an Antarctica kit, which everybody gets. And it's just one day in your life to see this magic continent that lies south of Australia. Yes, it's definitely one of those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. So for you, what do you personally find so fascinating about Antarctica? I think it's quite, it's, it's difference and it's history. I mean, a lot of it's really reasonably close to Australia, but it's totally different to anywhere else in the world. Uh, sometimes when we've been talking to tour operators in the UK or the US about selling our flights, they said, oh, it's just a bit like flying over Greenland. Well, flying over Greenland on a high altitude on an intercontinental jet and it's nothing at all like flying over Greenland. It's just stunning scenery. We've got 19 different routes that we can follow, and we we descend to what sounds like uh, a reasonably high level. We descend to 10,000 feet, just over 3,000 metres. Uh, and that at that altitude in Antarctica, the, the view is absolutely brilliant, and it just shows how polluted the rest of the world is. Down there, there's no pollution, and it is just crystal clear. You think you're flying in a Cessna at 3,000 feet. 
I guess in a way, it's kind of like the different um, parts of the world where the ocean is crystal clear and others not so much. So when it comes to um, seeing outside the aircraft, I understand that you've got a lot of different flight plans so that you can see a really amazing view of the ice regardless of the weather. The weather, of course, varies. It's an expedition. We call it our expeditioners who come on board the flight and we, we, we have a different route just about every time we go down there. Uh, it really depends on what's happening. Our captain will follow the weather through for three or four days beforehand and we have very good relations with the Met Bureau in Hobart and also the uh, Met officers on the Casey, one of the Australian stations. So they give us an absolute update. And we're still getting updates on what the weather is as we're flying down there. Uh, around every hour, we'll get a picture of what's moved. Uh, the satellite picture uh, shows where the clouds are, and we go to avoid those clouds. And as I mentioned, we've run around 155 flights. We've always had some absolutely amazing viewing. Yeah, I could imagine the complexity in trying to get something so specialised as these Antarctic flights running smoothly. And so I know that there's other things you do besides these flights. So when it, when was it that you decided that the Antarctic flights was something that you wanted to do? Uh, we also operate a company called Captain's Choice where we, char- we were chartering Qantas 767s and 747s for trips around various parts of the world. And we still do that. We now do this aboard a very luxurious 757. Uh, but we were talking to Qantas in Sydney in 1993 about our Antarctica, about sorry, about our Captain's Choice project. And over lunch, I raised it with the chief pilot, why can't we run those flights to Antarctica? And he said, well, there's no, technically, there is no reason why we can't run them. And so it took about 12 months to get permission. Uh, we do an environmental impact study every five years uh, to make sure that we're not polluting this beautiful unpolluted continent. And we... Uh, we, we started about a year later, uh, New Year's Eve 1994, and in fact we run a New Year's Eve flight every year with a five-piece or six-piece jazz band on board, people literally dancing in the aisles as you're flying over Antarctica at midnight with the sun streaming in the windows. Wow, that would be one of the most life-changing ways to see the New Year in, that is for sure. So what have you got in terms of new projects coming up that you're excited about? I mean, where do you go to from there? Like, you're definitely not a regular travel agency, that's for sure. We're very much not your uh, normal tour operator. We, uh, we specialise in well, remote and exotic destinations. We also do a uh, lot with private jet. We've been using private jets, as I mentioned, since 1994. First of all, Qantas Boeing 767. Since then, we've gone on to Qantas Boeing 747s. And then we've chartered Airbus A319s with 757s with an all-business-class configuration, and we're just launching right now our new private jet program with a fantastic 757, which is carrying only 50 people. And normally a 757 can carry 230-odd people. We've taken all the seats out, and we have uh, fully flat beds, uh, fantastic service, Dom Perignon Champagne on board, and visit uh, the amazing places around the world. And that starts in uh, July, uh, July 2018 is our new program with the 757. Awesome. I look forward to hearing about that when that um, program gets launched. It sounds seriously cool. And uh, you've been in this industry, I think you started in 1971. So during that time, no doubt, you would have had some really high highs and low lows. But let's talk about the, the highs for a moment. What do you think have been the most significant achievements? I think probably both of the both of the air charter programs, both the seven the sorry the seven four seven to Antarctica, and that was a really exciting project to get that off the ground, to go through the environmental impact studies, to go through the regulatory approval that we needed, 
and it was a spine tingling feeling as I walked uh, on the, been the, through the terminal at Mascot and here is our plane to take people down to this well, virtually a known part of the world. And we liken it to, it's one, one day in your life to see Antarctica. The alternative, of course, is going by ship. It might take a week of rough seas in each direction. Uh, we do it in one day. And actually, you can go, you go back to work on Monday morning and people say, what did you do for the weekend? Oh, I just went down to Antarctica. Uh, and we put it on the market uh, early November for our first flight in uh, 31 December, New Year's Eve in 1994. Uh, we sold the first flight out in about a week. And that, that year, we ran six flights. Uh, we increased that to nine or ten flights for a number of years. And now we run uh, normally four or five flights uh, from the various cities. And we've already got a flight on the market for 26 November uh, next year out of Sydney. And that's about well, more than a third full already. And it's only been on the market for a few weeks. There's a market there, it's, and, and it's quite an interesting demographic. Uh, we get anybody and everybody. We get people that really saved up for the flight to have it, known about it, wanted to do it. And it's really a one-off uh, trip, just one amazing day. We also find it's something quite great for people who um, maybe can't do long distance travel anymore, maybe people who aren't well, and, but who can uh, get, out, get away for a day and see a place that's so unlike anywhere else in the world. Yeah, your company has taken one of the most inaccessible places in the world, literally, and made it super accessible. That's really an achievement. And so over these years, it's, it's quite a complex thing, as we've said, to, to run these things. So I'd imagine you would have come against, um, up, up against some obstacles. And so what have been some of the really big challenges that you've experienced? Well, we've had many, many challenges. Uh, I guess on the Antarctic program, the biggest challenge was getting hold of enough aircraft because Qantas is a scheduled carrier. They don't have aircraft just sitting around waiting to, uh, to go anywhere. Uh, their, their, their shareholders wouldn't be very happy if they had planes sitting on the ground. So we have to uh, manipulate really to getting the aircraft and working with the team at Qantas to give us an aircraft to operate enough flights. And one year we went down to just a single flight. That's the lowest we've done. The highest we've got operated is 10 flights uh, in one summer season. And we can only go in the summer. We can only go between November and February uh, because of the weather conditions and the, and the, uh, the, the um, light um, because it's day, day, while it's daylight all day on New Year's Eve or, and all night on New Year's Eve, it's dark the whole time during the winter. That's what has always been a major challenge. Uh, with our Captain's Choice program, we've had, we've had some incredible challenges. We operated to places like Libya and Syria and Iran. And one of our challenges now is finding, well, new destinations. And some of those really wonderful destinations are places you simply can't go to now. Uh, so we're out there, places like Ethiopia and Iran we're running to, and that's a fantastic combination of two really different countries, and you have to make sure that everything works, because uh, it, in, so we normally research our trips very thoroughly. Normally one of our team, is, if we happen, we'll go over there to the destination and uh, do a site inspection, and uh, sometimes it's not a matter of what we include, it's sometimes it's a matter of what we eliminate because we know it's not going to work. In sending all of your clients all around the world to really exotic and unusual locations, I bet there's been some really weird and unusual things that you've experienced too. So um, tell us what memory stands out the most. It's a very, that's a very hard question. It's like the same question, saying, what's your favourite country? Uh, I'll put that probably one of the most amazing trips we ever did was for the eclipse of the sun in 2003. And we were approached by an American professor uh, who uh, led, led, a, led a group 
of um, umbrophiles is what they call them. An umbrophile is a dweller in the moon's shadow. I must, I must say we thought these guys were a little bit crazy when we first talked to them, uh, but they are very passionate about what they do and they'll chase eclipses all over the world. And so what we did with our Qantas 747 going to Antarctica, we left off, we arranged, we ran a program in the flight simulator how air, our aircraft could run parallel to the eclipse and gain additional time. And these guys are really excited about having the additional time. Uh, normally an eclipse is over in about 40 or 50 seconds. Uh, we, by running the aircraft uh, in, the, in a particular way, we were able to, I think it was 2 minutes and 32 seconds. Now that doesn't sound too exciting to you or me. It was amazing on the aircraft just looking at the, the moon obscuring the sun and the, 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 the travellers who were from all over the world on the left-hand side of the aircraft, and we only sold the seats on the left-hand side of the aircraft where the, the eclipse was going to be visible. Uh, we uh, we had uh, the eclipse chasers on one side, and we had left a couple of empty seats, and then we had people who wanted to see Antarctica on the other side. But because of the timing of the eclipse, which was nine-something in the morning, uh, over the area we were flying over, we had to leave Melbourne at uh, two o'clock in the morning, and we got back at about three in the afternoon. That was really one of the, the great flights, uh, another one was where we, we chartered the aircraft to um, Metcash Supermarket, um, and which is IGA and the supermarket group, and they did an incentive trip for their, uh, their for their suppliers, and we had the whole aircraft set out with business class food throughout the aircraft, only two people on each side, uh, very spacious flight, and I've done 150, I've done 50 flights myself. I saw more on that flight than I've ever seen. It's more normally. Normally you don't get to see too much when you're working on the flight. And we went down to McMurdo Sound and the dry valleys, which the glaciologists are very excited about, the dry valleys, the only place in the world that you really get to see them, and and also Mount Erebus. And that was uh, quite a, a fantastic trip. Wow. Giving people such mind-bending travel experiences would really change them. And um, just for yourself now, how do you think your global travel experiences have changed the way you think about the world? I think travelling is a, a, an amazing thing. You become tolerant. Uh, you have to. Uh, you really do realise things are different in other places. Uh, sometimes you complain they're getting too much the same these days. You know, McDonald's and you know, United Colours and Benetton and things like that are everywhere. Uh, but there's still a lot of many parts of the world that are are totally different, and that's what we seek on our Captain's Choice tours uh, is to go to those totally different places. And running the Antarctica flights is an, oh, well an adjunct of that in that you're going somewhere that's just not possible for the normal person. I must say we thought that uh, someone would start operating Antarctica flights from somewhere else in the world as well, but we're still the only people who run a dedicated flight to Antarctica from basically anywhere in the world. You can go, you can fly from uh, Punta Arenas in southern Chile to King George Island, which is a Chilean base, and you can actually go ashore there. And In fact, we have a cruise program where we fly from Punta Arenas to King George Island and then get on an expedition ship and tour around Antarctica and that and the Antarctic Peninsula. And that enables you to do it without having the, the well the, the notorious crossing of the Drake Passage, which is always rough. Uh, but as a sightseeing flight, we're still the only people in the world running them. And that's great also that you're giving other people from around the world an opportunity to fly down south on a dedicated flight that doesn't just only leave um, from here in Australia. So earlier on, we talked about how some countries, you know, uh, periodically close and open 
to passengers um, with your charters. And that can be for, you know, political reasons or um, unrest. But I'd imagine with Antarctica and places like that, it could be for environmental reasons. So do you think one day it's there's going to come a time where tourists won't be able to go down and check out Antarctica? We've, uh, we went through very rigorous uh, regulatory approval and that has been proved that an aircraft flying at 10,000 feet has no impact, no, no significant impact whatsoever. Uh, and, we, and we use a very clean aircraft. So that that's, uh, we, we don't believe so. When we first started, we had a number of people who felt, said we shouldn't do it. We took them down there and showed them really how we operated the flight what we do and how we actually get people enthused with Antarctica and people who are then um, uh, active, act, active against mining in Antarctica because that was uh, mine, mining is currently banned, so is building accommodation uh, for tourist purposes. Uh, but and I, and I can assure you that anyone who takes the flight will say, "Don't wreck this place," uh, and we leave no we leave no uh, impact uh, on the continent whatsoever. I and mean, we wouldn't, if we did, we wouldn't be running the flights. We'd say this is a fabulous part of the world. We don't want it polluted, and we don't want, certainly don't want to see accommodation built down there or mining happening. And uh, you'll find that all of our Antarctic expeditioners who love the continent would agree with us on that. Yeah, that's great to hear. And certainly in recent times, everyone is more aware of the footprint they leave, especially in exotic places like these. And um, I also know that it's not just a matter of um, not wrecking it, but you guys actually leave it better than how you find it. So tell us about the giving programs and the work that you do on that side of things. Well, we've, we've done a number of things. We work with Clean Up Australia for many years on their Clean, on their Clean Up Antarctica program. And that uh, that raised a lot of money for cleanup. Our current uh, charity that we work with in, on the Antarctic program is the Mawson's Hut Foundation, and the Mawson's Hut is a Commonwealth Bay uh, on in Antarctica near Cape Tennyson, and we actually fly over the hut uh, quite often. Uh, it's only a speck in the distance when you're flying at 10,000 feet, uh, but you can see the hut, and it's always pointed out by our expeditioners on board, and. Uh, We've, we've, there's a group who uh, mainly people who lived and worked in Antarctica who uh, are uh, restoring the hut and keeping it alive for future generations. I mean, the hut now is uh, over 100 years old, and it's and of course it it tells the great story of the Mawson expedition uh, where he missed the ship on the way home, and uh, it's it's an, an amazing sight. And there's a replica hut that's been built in Hobart, and we're working with that as well. So you guys are really playing an important role in preserving history for future generations, but you're also taking a really good experience for people and doing good with it as well. We try to do that all over the world on our Captain's Choice program. We've raised and, uh, and donated over $3 million over the 22 years that we've been operating, and we do that in destinations where we, we run tours, uh, we try and give something back to the local people, and we've built schools in, uh, in Cambodia, in uh, Madagascar, Kenya and Tanzania. And we've had uh, water articulation projects that we've done. Uh, we've been involved in uh, eye camps, uh, helping people's vision. There's many different things. And we do that mainly through Rotary International. Right. So you're not only changing uh, people's approach to unique travel, but you're also changing the societies in which that occurs, and which is a really positive thing. And so on this idea of change then, as a prediction, where do you think uh, leisure travel in the future is heading? I think it's going to become even more important than it is now. Uh, there's a huge growth in travel. 
you just have to look at the cost of travel now compared to what it was when we started. Uh, we first started our original business, Croydon Travel, in uh, 1971. At that time, the cheapest return fare to London was $1,302. Uh, a few weeks ago, fares were available to Europe for less than $1,000, $990, and right now they're still only a little bit over 1000 which is less than it was 45 years ago, which is quite staggering, really. And uh, uh, once travel was a, a difficult thing for many people to do. Now it's a common everyday thing, and people, oh, instead of going to Rosebud or or uh, the Central Coast for their holidays, they go they go to Bali or Fiji or Los Angeles or London. That's true, and global is definitely local these days. So, Phil, thanks again. And before you go, we just wanted to ask you, what are your two top tips for travel? Well, do it just to, to do it. Uh, don't put it off. Uh, just get out there and see these amazing places around the world. And there's always one I, I, I like is take twice as much money and half as much luggage as you plan to. Just do it. Yeah, I like that piece of advice. Sometimes we just tend to wait and save up and save up, but um, not actually go anywhere. And um, all right, so those two tips were just to do it, and the second one was carry twice as much money and half as much luggage as you were planning. That's pretty solid advice. So where can people find out more about these expeditions to Antarctica? Right, if you go to Antarctica Flights, that's A-N-T-A-R-C-T-I-C-A, flights.com.au is the, uh, the best address for us. Thanks again, Phil, and I really appreciate you spending time sharing about the amazing place that is Antarctica. All the best, Nathan. I know I cannot wait for my flight, which is only a day away. And um, if any of you listeners are interested in doing it, I'd encourage you to save up, make it a goal. That's what I did. I spent about four or five years thinking, you know, should I do it, should I not? But I saved up and then made it a reality. So until next episode, find simple things that you can do to create significant outcomes so you can live to accomplish. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment Ask questions and subscribe to the email editions at nathanshooter.com.